praise you for all that you'll accomplish in our lives in Christ's name. Amen. Those ages four to seven, dismiss the junior church. We are continuing on in 1 Peter, chapter 3 this week. Played around with different ideas for the title of this sermon. Cited basic Christian conduct was a good one. Characteristics of godly believers seem like a good, good title as well, or maybe healthy relationships, right? But let's remember where this passage is at. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. So go ahead and I'll, I'll read that section. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> it says, Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers. Maybe if I... That'll help. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." So try to jog your memory. We had a missionary last week who spoke, so we've been out of First Peter for, for a week. But we're in the midst of some instructions right here. We have instructions in the beginning of chapter 3, beginning in chapter 2, actually, around verse 13, where he says, submit to rulers, right? And that's instructions to everybody. You are all to submit to your rulers. And then in verse 18, it is, slaves, submit to your masters. And he says, not even the ones who don't treat you right. And then he, he goes on in the starting chapter 3, and it's, wives, submit to, to your husbands, so that you may win them over by your behavior. And then husbands, love your wives, Right? I ended that sermon by saying, husbands, submit to Christ and love your wives. But now he gets into chapter 8 and he says, finally, all of you. This instruction is for all believers. And this, remember in Peter, he's beginning this. All the way back in the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1, is this is who he is writing to. He says, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. So he has a specific audience, but that audience is made up of the elect, those who are in Christ. This is for us. If you are in Christ, these instructions are for you. 
But again, we, we have some of the, the purpose of all these instructions. Right? He's been giving lots of things to do, submit to, to rulers, even the ones that aren't good, submit to your, to your masters, even the ones who aren't good, Hus wife, submit to your husbands, even the ones who aren't good. Husbands, love your wives. But he's in chapter 2, verse 11, he gives us this sort of, this big picture of what he's driving in. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Right? Some of these, these instructions, the submissions that he's giving you are not easy things to do. Right? These are your sinful desire would have you not submit to a king that you don't like. It would have you not submit to a master who is harsh. It would have a wife not submit to her husband who is not a believer, who, is, who she doesn't like what he's saying. Right? It's the husband to, to not love his wife, that she should just do exactly what he wants, right? But he is to love her. So you are abstaining from sinful desires which war against your soul. And part of these instructions are, are the instructions of abstaining from those sinful desires. And he, he goes on in that section where he says, live in verse 12 of chapter 2, he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So your Christian conduct is to bring glory to God. In doing these things that you are instructed to do, it glorifies God. It points to him. When you do the things that nobody else wants to do because it goes completely against your, the nature of your desires, it points to the one who you are doing it for. It gives glory to God. And as you'll see, as if you, we get into the 34th Psalm that we looked at in the scripture reading, not only does it glorify God, there's also a benefit to you in doing these things. And as a general principle, when you follow God's rules for life, it will go well for you. He made the world. He determined how the world works. So when you follow the creator's rules, for how to do things, it tends to work out well. Now, everyone, you're going to have the exceptions, right? Like, oh, what about, or yeah, but what about this thing? Well, yes, there are outliers. We live in a world that has been corrupted by sin. So sometimes you'll do the right thing, and it still doesn't seem to go well for you. Right? We're, we're studying 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this week, and it's Paul talking about some of the some of the sufferings that he's endured, and yet he does it for the sake of the gospel, right? He can look back and see, yes, I'm enduring hardship, but in the midst of this, the gospel is working. People are coming to Christ. And I had that thought as we were discussing that, and I mentioned at the end of this idea of, if you look at Paul's day-to-day -day life as a missionary, it can be hard sometimes, right? He gets stoned, he gets left for dead, but if you look at the overall picture of his ministry, what the world looked like before he began and what it looks like towards the end of his ministry, how much the gospel has spread and the influence it has had on the world, you see the good that has come from that. You see how the gospel has worked in the midst of his suffering and strife. So even when you do 
the instructions and it doesn't seem to work, know that God is still working. The gospel is still at work in the midst of hard things. But digging into this here, so we said in starting in chapter 3, verse 8 there, it says, finally all of you, right? We covered, I talked, that instruction is to, to all believers. It's, he's writing to an audience, but you are included in that audience. You are within, if you are in Christ, you are within the audience that he is writing to. So what are those instructions? They are to live in harmony with one another. It's the first thing. If you have the ESV with you, it'll, it says to have unity of mind. So the, this idea of you're pursuing the same goals. And it's easy, if you, you think about that unity term, you can say, oh, we're all to be doing exactly the same thing, right? We're all looking, look the same, dress the same, act exactly the same, right? No, that's not the idea. You're not, I'm not to look out and you all are like wearing the same like gray suit and sweater or whatever, right? You're not, you're not a uniform group. But I like the way that NIV puts it as to live in harmony. That you are working together towards a common goal. When you think of what harmony means within the context of music. So when a group of singers is in harmony, are, all, are they all singing the same notes, right? Any of you that know your music, you know you're not all singing the same notes. You're singing different notes. But those musical parts all work together to make one beautiful musical piece. The beauty comes from the separate parts written to be in harmony with each other. That interaction of working on the same goal. But it doesn't work if you're singing a different song. If you're trying to harmonize with different songs, it's just a muddled mess. So you have a common goal, you're working towards it together, and you're playing different parts, but you are in harmony. So he says, live in harmony with one another. All of your lives are not gonna look exactly the same, but you are going to be working together in this common goal, glorifying God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This idea of the being like-minded, of having a common goal, of working together. Your common goal is Jesus Christ, the proclamation of the gospel. So your thoughts and feelings should be shaped by the scriptures. Whenever we think about that unity, you have this unity because your minds, your actions, your thoughts are shaped by the scriptures. Not because you are striving to all be identical, but because you are all shaped by the same thing. You are shaped by the word of God. That is your unity, that is your, your harmony. As I studied this, if you're taking notes, write down Romans 12. And if you're not taking notes, just remember Romans 12. Because as I'm like studying, I'm just like looking up all these little cross-references throughout this passage. And Romans 12, Romans 12, Romans 12 just comes up over and over and over again. The passage that talks about love and how to interact as believers. And it's so valuable. But I want to look at 
in context of this unity and harmony, I wanted to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 11, which speaks about this. And I'm not necessarily going to read through all this, but this is talking about lawsuits among believers, right? What does this have to do with it? And if, if any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Right? It's this idea that should you be having disputes among believers, you're supposed to be have unity. You're supposed to be living in harmony, and yet you are have disputes amongst yourselves. That you, you have things you can't sort out. And that's what his instructions are here. Have this unity of mind. Have this harmony. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know there will be that we will judge angels, how much more the things of this life. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. It is possible, is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers, pointing out the lack of unity within this body, this lack of harmony. You can't even figure out simple disputes amongst yourselves. You have to go to the pagans to have them judge your disputes. Have harmony. That's Peter's instruction here. Have harmony. Figure things out. Work together. Have unity. The next thing he talks about there in 1 Peter 3.8, he's... After harmony, he says, live in harmony with another, one another. Then he says, be sympathetic. You have this idea of being responsive to others' needs. So we are to be sensitive to each other's concerns. And I was, it's interesting studying through all the different words here. There seems there's overlap. You have be sympathetic, and then you have be compassionate and they can almost run into each other some. But so I was looking up definitions of things and, and Merriam-Webster talked about being about sympathy and it said, concern for someone who is experiencing something difficult or painful. So you're having this concern for them when in their difficulty. And from the Greek, it was saying that having common feelings you are sharing in the grief of others. You're showing concern for them. You don't say, well, that's too bad. Hope that works out for you. Right? you say, no. I understand your pain. I sympathize with you. That is hard. That Romans 12, in verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We are to be sympathetic with each other. You, you rejoice with them when they have their highs, and you mourn with those who are having their lows. Right? We are not on our own. That's part of the harmony, part of the unity, 
is showing sympathy in the midst of strife and struggles. So how do we do that as a body? You can, it's quite simple, honestly, right? You pick up the phone. You have your phone in your pocket with you. You don't even have to walk to a phone. It's with you. But you call those who are ex experiencing difficulty. We have so many different people right now that are going through hard things. Give them a call. Encourage them. Let them know that you sympathize with them, right? You have common feelings with them. You understand their struggles. Send a card. People love getting cards. Us guys, I, you know, cards are nice, but it's not like, doesn't necessarily make my day. But it is still nice, it's encouraging. I know my wife loves cards. <laughs> That's like one of her love languages. If I forget to get her a card for her birthday or anniversary, like, it's not good. <laughs> she say, I don't, I don't know if he even understands me. Does he get me? Like, these are things that I, that I appreciate, right? Different people appreciate those things differently. Some people just love cards. Send them a card. Encourage them. Sympathize with them. Let them know that you are thinking of them, that you are praying for them. I hope you are praying for them. I hope that you are praying for those who are experiencing difficult things right now. Let them know that you are. That is an encouragement in itself when you can say, someone can say to you, I'm praying for you. You're like, oh, thank you. That means a lot. Let you know that you care about them. The next instruction there is to love as brothers. is an interesting thing as I think about it. It's like, how do brothers love? My brother and I don't really hug. <laughs> no. We, there's not this like, this intimate love necessarily, but it's this matter of, I know if I need something, he will do whatever he can to help and vice versa. And that we share common concerns. We are part of a family. You don't, you don't get to pick your family. And why do you love your family members? Is it because of how good looking they are? Some people are easier to love than other people. <laughs> Sometimes some people are just super easy to love on. You know, they, they respond well. They're always doing things for you. They're just... It's a great relationship. Other times it's hard. Other times you may love some, a family member for years and all you ever get back is, is whining and crying. <laughs> right? But there's something there. There's something about being in a family that causes us to love one another. That's this brotherly love. It's this unconditional love. It's not because they're rich, it's not because they can provide something great for you, but it's just this unconditional, not self-serving, it's not based on what you, you can receive from them or what you might receive from them. That's how we are to be within the body of believers.
your fellow believer is not a mere acquaintance, that you, they are a part of your family. They're not just somebody that you see on Sunday morning or on Wednesday nights. They are a part of your family. If you are in Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. You are now part of the same family. You now have this brotherly love. Exercise it. You have this common bond through Jesus. As we, we have this common bond through family of our parents and maybe being raised together, now you have, as believers, common bond of Christ and having been redeemed through him. Leviticus 19, verse 18. It's uh, giving of some instructions, ways to act, things to do. Various laws is the title that I have. But specifically in Leviticus 19, 18, that specific verse says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And then he closes it by saying, I am the Lord. <laughs> Who is this instruction from? This instruction is from God. So Peter is not dreaming up some new concept of how you are to treat each other. This, is, this was an instruction that was given to the Israelites. Love your neighbor as yourself. And now Peter's just taking that and expounding on it and saying, have brotherly love one for another. Treat each other as family. Know each other. Know what's happening in each other's lives. Have concern for each other. Going back to sympathy, be praying for each other. Lost my spot here. Uh, Peter hits on this in more than just one time here. We have this First Peter 3, in verse 8, he talks about to love his brothers. But also, if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, he mentions it there. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. He's talking about, he's not talking about your, your brothers through blood there. He is talking about your brothers in Christ. Have sincere love for your brothers, for your fellow Christian. Let it be sincere. Love one another deeply. It is to be deep and it is to be from the heart. Again in 2.17, in the midst of those instructions of submitting to every authority instituted among men, in verse 17 he says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God, honor the king. So in the midst of those instructions of how to work within authority, you are to love the brotherhood of believers. That should be something that characterizes you, your love for one another. This brotherly love. All through that common bond of Jesus Christ. And the next instruction he gives, so he says, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, and then he says, be compassionate. This idea of being affectionately sensitive and caring for each other, 
to have mercy, to feel sympathy, to have pity. This is where I was like, compassion, sympathy, how do they, what's the, aren't they kind of the same thing, yet they're a little bit different, right? And I was thinking about compassion. I was thinking some people just have more natural inclinations towards compassion than others, right? Some people you see an animal get hit by a car and it just devastates you, right? Others you see it and you're like, well, that's the third one this week. It's, yep, another one got hit by a car, right? You, you have this and that. Some people are more inclined to it and some are not. Um, I was looking through different verses trying to find examples and I, I thought of the account of Jesus with Lazarus. And you have in John eleven thirty five, which is, I believe, the shortest verse in the Bible. It says, Jesus wept. This, this passage that shows Jesus' compassion in that moment in response to the death of Lazarus. And Jesus, keep in mind, is not ignorant of the fact that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet he weeps when he sees the death of Lazarus, when he sees the effect this has on that family, when he, he sees the effect that sin is having on people, right? Jesus weeps. He has compassion for them in the midst of their suffering, even though he is about to undo that suffering. He has compassion. And thinking more on compassion, and it's easy to become jaded or desensitized to all the pain and suffering we see around us. How many people have the news on in their house all the time? How much good things does the news report on? Your news is stream is normally just this bad thing happened, this bad thing happened, this bad thing happened. And eventually, if you're watching that all the time, if you are experiencing compassion for all those different things, you're eventually going to be just overwhelmed, become depressed, because it's just so bad. We become jaded by these things, because otherwise you look at it and you say, yep, another bad thing happened. Let's move on to the next. We, we tend to overlook these things because we just see it so often. The pain and the suffering all around us. You have this news coverage, you have... You have movies, right? It's the last time you went to a let's pick on like you go see an action movie, right? <laughs> if somebody's not dying every five minutes, like are you even being entertained? Right? It's you're desensitized to these things. And on the other hand, on one hand you're like surrounded by death in your entertainment, right? But then on the opposite hand, you have when do we actually experience death of those around us, right? You, when people die, they tend to be in a hospital, it tends to be rather isolated, and you don't experience that death in the way that maybe we did even 100 years ago, where grandparent is dying, everybody comes and visits them. And that's not necessarily the case now. It tends to happen in isolation. We, we tend to be isolated. It's just this strange dichotomy where you're surrounded by death on one hand 
and this like imaginary world of movies, TV, video games, our entertainment, and then in real life, we tend to be isolated from it, right? It tends to, it works against us having effective compassion. But the scriptures tell us in Exodus 34, verse 6, gives us a description, God gives us a description of who he is. He tells us that he is compassion, Exodus 34, verse 6. And this is Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the tablets of the Ten Commandments for the second time. But the Lord, it says, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. But the first adjective that God uses to describe himself there is compassionate. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. He describes himself as compassionate. Can you describe yourself as compassionate, right? Can I say, Greg is just so compassionate? Not always. <laughs> That's the that becoming jaded part that I was talking about, that you're surrounded by all this terrible all the time that you see and you just sort of get used to it. But we are to be characterized by our compassion. We are to be compassionate. The next characteristic that he gives instructions on there is to be humble. Being willing to encourage one another and rejoice in each other's successes. This humility ties in with harmony and unity. So I was thinking about that. I was thinking, how well does singing and harmony work if you have one person who's determined to be the star? That their voice must be heard above that of everyone else. You have this group that's harmonizing and then you've got this one person who's just so loud, they're all you can hear, right? Drowns out the harmony. Ruins the performance. So if you are determined to be the star Christian, you're doing it wrong. If, if you want to be recognized for how good you are, you stand out for all your greatness, you're not doing it right. See, our goal should be to elevate Christ, not ourselves. When we recognize the holiness of God, how good God is, and then we consider who we are, it is that, which is the fear of the Lord, causes us to have true humility, that we recognize how sinful we are by comparison to God, and we are humbled by it. We should be humbled by it. <clears throat> Proverbs have a lot to say about humility. 
Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This idea of not leaning on your own understanding. Be humble. Trust in the Lord. It is not of you. Proverbs 22, verse 4 says, Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. So this idea of being humble, having fear of the Lord, recognizing who you are in comparison to him. And this proverb tells us there is good that results from that. There is wealth and honor and life that can come from it. There are good things that come from humility. And finally, in the Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 23, <clears throat> says, A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Those who are prideful, you receive your reward now. You've got it. Your own pride tends to work against you. But a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Right? Those who recognize who they are, who God is, they receive honor. <clears throat> so he goes on in verse 9 of 1 Peter 3, and he says, Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. thinking this idea of do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, right? This idea of non-retaliation. <laughs> not retaliating is super hard. It's very difficult, right? When we are sinned against our own sinful nature, the very thing we want is to get even, is to get back, right? That thing that somebody said that hurts us, we want to say something to them that's even more hurtful, right? Get back at them. Kids playing on the playground, one kid pushes another, the other one wants to push him back even harder. I want to knock you down, right? This, this idea of I want to get back. I want to, that's if, speaking of movies, that's like the theme of so many movies these days, right? Is that retaliation. But Peter says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Don't seek to get even. So not only is non-retaliation hard, but he goes a step beyond that. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. When someone does evil to you, give them a blessing. When they insult you, give them a blessing. Repay them with a blessing. So not only are Christians to not retaliate, we are to bless when evil is done against us. We are to bless when we are insulted. How very, very difficult. Can you do this within your own power? It goes against your very nature. It goes against all that you desire. How can a person do this? Thinking back on humility that we just talked about and remembering the fear of the Lord so whenever someone sins against you, another sinner, 
has sinned against you, just remember that it is nothing compared to the sin you have committed against a holy God. Right? They sin against you. You are a fellow sinner. You have had harm done, done, done to you, and you are a person who has done harm to others. You have sin within you, and you are sinned against. And yet, you have sinned against God, who has never committed a sin whatsoever. You have sinned against a holy God. And yet, because of Jesus, you can stand forgiven. And it's not even because of anything you've done. It is only because of Jesus. So I have sinned greatly against a holy God, and in return, he has blessed me with Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. This idea of do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult but with blessing is this like picture of the gospel. It is this picture of you have sinned against God and instead of God squashing you like the bug that you are, giving you the death that you deserve, instead he gives you Christ. He gives you good things. He blesses you with Jesus. He blesses you with salvation and forgiveness. That is how a believer can bless when evil is done against him. You know what you have received from God and what you deserved. And you want to show that same thing. You have this picture of the gospel you can give others. And then when they ask, why? I've been nothing but mean to you and you continue to do good things for me. You continue to pray for me. You continue to try to bless me. Why do you do that? Because I've been there. I had sinned against God, who is holy, and yet he blessed me with Jesus Christ. He has blessed me with the forgiveness of sins. That is why I can do these things for you. And he closes that and says, To this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So not only is this a picture of the gospel and the goodness of the forgiveness of sins, but there are good things that come from that. The Christian life is not all suffering all the time. You receive good things. As, as we were studying through 2 Corinthians, and we all experience hard things, but I'm thinking to myself, is your life better because of Christ or worse because of Christ? I hope you can say your life is better because of Christ. You have received good things because of Christ. And some of that may be your perspective. The things that you used to value before are no longer valuable to you, and you now value new things. So what you think is, what you used to think is good, you don't necessarily think is the best thing anymore. Now you think something else is better. Your perspective is different. But as I said in the beginning, there is blessing that comes from walking with God because he created this world. He made it. He made it the way things work. If you follow his ways, it will go well for you. He says, to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. And he says, all believers are called to this. Right? All of us are to do these things. It's not just your pastors who are supposed to live in harmony or be sympathetic 
or love as brothers, be compassionate and humble, or to bless when evil is done against them. It's not just missionaries that are to do that. All believers are to do these things. So you have this idea, this is characterized within the body of believers, and then it even goes outside. This is how you interact in the outside world with those who are not believers. But you reap this benefit. You inherit a blessing, as he says. And then Psalm 34 and verse 10, which he, he's quoting a few verses from Psalm 34 and verse 10 there. He says, whoever would love life and see good days, this is the consequence. You would love life and see good days, but you must keep his tongue from evil and his leaps, lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So you reap this benefit, not only of the forgiveness of sins and relationship, right relationship with God, but it goes further. It says, whoever would love life and see good days, here are your consequences. This is what you have. There is blessing that comes from being a follower of Jesus in this life now and these good things. It is because of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins that believers can do all the things that are instructed here. So we can live in harmony. We can be sympathetic. We can have brotherly love. We can be compassionate. We can be humble. We can retaliate. We cannot retaliate but bless, right? Are you going to do all these things perfectly all the time? No. You are growing in sanctification, but you have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the ability to do these things, to work on these things. We know what Christ has done for us. You have this picture of the fear of the Lord. You have sinned against the Holy God, and instead of receiving punishment that we deserve, we've received blessing, the blessing of salvation. And we can do these things because we've received so much from Christ. And on top of that, he goes on and says, whoever would love life, love life and see good days, do these things. Your life will be better because of a relationship with Christ. You know, the blessings that are, are given here. So we strive to do these things. We strive to live these out and encourage each other as we strive in these things. Live in harmony. That picture of a musical quartet singing, right? We're not all the same, but we're all working to the same goal. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the brotherhood of believers that we have. Help us to encourage each other, show each other love, to live out all these, these examples that Peter gives us, Lord. Thank you for your word that you've given us, the truths contained within it. In Jesus' name, amen. I was worried I was without a pianist, but she is here.
Turn your hymn books to 414. We're going to stand and we're just going to sing the first and third verses of Trust and Obey. The first and third verses. 414. Let's stand together. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor He shows and the joy He bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Lord has done great things for us. In the process, He wants us to respond to Him, to love Him, to obey, to study His Word, and to respond to His Word with favor that we might do the things that He wants us to do. Not an easy thing sometimes, but they are things with great blessing. Gracious Father, we're grateful for Your love grateful for your word and the challenges that it brings. Lord, we desire to be in a place where we receive the most blessing, the greatest blessing, to know you and then to obey your word, to trust you in what you say. You teach us what it means to live at our best, the way we were designed. And you give us those teachings in your word. Help us to respond to today's message, to be people of compassion, loving one another, to be of the same mind, to be responding in a way that would be like Christ, that the world might know who we really are. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We praise you for your word and for the worship. In Christ, your Son's name, amen. Yeah. 